sometimes life brings us a decision for which there is no clear moral choice. In this episode of Live Well and Flourish, practical philosopher Dr. Andrea Christel, co-founder of Sedona Philosophy Experience, and I discuss moral dilemmas. What makes them dilemmas? The consequences of dealing with such decisions? And why they're so hard to resolve? You will face moral dilemmas. They're a part of life. So I hope our discussion will help you when you have to make difficult moral choices. This is a pretty complex topic, so it'll take a couple of episodes to cover it. Also, I want to warn you that we frame some of the discussion around the death of one of our dogs. So, if that's going to unduly upset you, maybe you should skip this episode. Welcome to Live Well and Flourish, where I help you understand what it means to live a flourishing life. I'm your host, Craig Van Slyke. If you're ready to think beyond material and external success, if you're ready to take control of who you are and the kind of life you live, if you're ready to flourish, this is the podcast for you. A few weeks ago, Tracy and I faced an excruciating decision. One of our colleagues, Sophie, had been declining for some time, but had gotten much worse. She was getting pretty old for a collie, and we were certain there was no reversal for her decline, and the vet verified that. Sophie was just old, and she didn't seem to enjoy life anymore. This was a really big deal. She was always so exuberant that we called her our dog of enthusiasm. We loved Sophie. She was a faithful companion. When Tracy was feeling poorly, Sophie would stay close to her side, doing her best to comfort Tracy. But when Sophie started this sharp downward slope from which there would be no recovery, we faced a difficult decision. Let Sophie continue to have what life she could, or call out the vet to euthanize her. To me, this is a classic moral dilemma. All life is precious and should be respected, but it was cruel to let Sophie continue to suffer needlessly when it was within our power to let her suffering end. If we decided to have her euthanized, we violated the moral precept of the sanctity of life. But if we let her continue to suffer... We didn't live up to our duty to care for the life that God had entrusted to us. Regardless of the choice, we would fail to serve an important moral duty. We had a dilemma. We scheduled our vet to come out and talk to him about our choice. He's really wonderful, and he said, Better a week early than a day late. So we decided to end Sophie's suffering and her life. We miss her terribly. Uh, Sophie really was one of those special pups. Our experience led me to think about the moral dilemmas that are inevitable parts of life. But just what makes something a moral dilemma? What are the consequences of moral dilemmas for those of us who have to make difficult moral choices? How can such moral dilemmas be resolved, if they even can? In an email, I posed these questions to my friend and co-host of the original version of this podcast, Andrea Christel. This prompted a conversation and an invitation for Andrea to join me on Live Well and Flourish so that we could discuss moral dilemmas in order for you to be better equipped to recognize and deal with difficult moral choices. Andrea graciously agreed, so we're fortunate to have her here today. Andrea, welcome back. Thank you, Craig. Thank you so much for the invitation, and it's a pleasure to be here. So let's start with the basic question. What is a moral dilemma? A moral dilemma is a choice in which a moral agent must choose between two actions, both of which have moral consequences and are incompatible with one another. 
The agent can do either of these actions, but can't do both. So regardless of which choice she makes, there will be an undesirable outcome. Now, this is often referred to as being on the horns of a dilemma, because if you avoid one horn, you end up on the other. In this case, if you let Sophie live, she ends up suffering. But if you end her suffering, you also end her life. And either way, you get stuck on one of the horns. So if I'm hearing you correctly, the moral agent, which is just someone with the ability to take some action with moral consequences, can't escape being skewered on one of the horns. You're literally damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, that's right. Um, the, the agent is going to face an outcome that is morally problematic, and either action is unethical in some respect. Now, that's something that a lot of people just intuitively don't like, because we often try to find the right thing to do. And if we can't avoid a negative consequence, usually we somehow try to justify it and say, well, it was right because I chose the better alternative. But that's really um, not necessarily the case. Um, ending Sophie's life, for example, may have been all things considered the best thing to do, but that doesn't mean that euthanizing her is unproblematic. Again, even if it is the overall best thing to do. Andrea, maybe an, an example will make things a little bit easier for our listeners to understand. Can you give us an example? Sure. Well, one classic example is, um, coincidentally, Sophie's Choice. And this comes from uh, William Styron's novel of the same name. In this novel, Sophie and her two children are in a Nazi concentration camp, and a guard tells Sophie that one of her children will be allowed to live, but the other will be put to death. And so Sophie has to decide which child lives and which dies. She can save one child, but only at the expense of the other's life. If she chooses neither, both will be killed. Sophie, therefore, has a morally compelling reason to choose one of her children, but for each child, she has equally strong reasons to save her or him. So the same moral precept of saving a life leads to the conflicting moral obligations. So Sophie faces a moral dilemma. And this is a, a really terrible one. So our Sophie's choice was also a moral dilemma. Our choice to euthanize Sophie violated the moral precept of the sanctity of life, but continuing to allow her to suffer violated the moral obligation we had to end her suffering. Of course, Sophie's choice in the novel was more consequential, but both are moral dilemmas. Or are they? Well, what what makes you ask that? Well, it seems to me that there are some assumptions that we're making if we call the decision that Tracy and I faced a moral dilemma. I see. And, and what are those assumptions? Well, the first one is that we have a duty, a moral duty, to end suffering. We also assume that we have a moral duty to respect the sanctity of life and maybe also not to interfere with the normal course of life and death. We also put ourselves in the position of being an agent for Sophie. We were making the choice on her behalf, but that's a different sort of agency that we don't need to get into right now. Okay, so, so what you're saying is that um, certain moral obligations are um, at stake when you call your choice a moral dilemma. That's right. We, impl we imply certain moral obligations. Okay. I, I see what you're getting at. So that what's good or what the right action is depends on the particular set of moral values being applied. 
Um, sanctity of life is another moral commitment. And, you know, notice, though, that, you know, every time we eat a cheeseburger, we're also violating the sanctity of life rule. Um, and this is not to be glib, but it is helpful to notice how easy it is to be really moved by things like sanctity of life in one scenario and maybe not even have it cross our minds in another scenario. Yeah, I think humans are often uh, inconsistent <laughs> in things like that. But that's part of what makes us human. All right, so that, that all makes sense. So what I'm hearing is that whether something is good or bad depends on what we might call the value framing that's being applied. Doesn't that get into ethics and theories of ethics? It does. Um, and applying different uh, theories or systems of ethics might lead to different choices. Okay, maybe that's a topic for another uh, episode. We don't want to get too much in, in, into too much detail here, but as I understand it, there are at least three major theories or approaches uh, to ethics, right? Sure. Yeah, and, and we can go over those just briefly. So um, utilitarianism is one, and utilitarianism is a form of consequentialism, which, just like it sounds, focuses on consequences or outcomes of an action or decision. And according to utilitarianism, an action is right if it brings the greatest happiness to the greatest number of people. And the second major moral theory is deontology, and that's a system that says that there are moral norms or standards or rules, and a right action is the one that conforms to those moral norms. Then finally, virtue ethics would say that the morally correct action is one that a person of virtue or high moral character would do. Um, this seems to leave more space for independent judgment, but it's not quite as freewheeling as it might sound at first. Um, of course, there are countless complications and caveats with all three of those, but that's a brief explanation of the different principles behind the three major ethical systems, utilitarianism, deontology, and virtue ethics. So, so what's really important here is that what might be good or right under utilitarianism might not be if we apply deontology or virtue ethics. Um, and even within a system of ethics, you may still face ethical dilemmas. So, um, you know, dealing with a moral dilemma is not just a matter of applying one theory over another. For example, Sophie's choice is the, in the novel is a dilemma under any of these approaches to ethics. While we tend to pit um, one theory against the other, utilitarianism focuses on outcomes, while deontology focuses on rules. In in our day-to-day -day lives, most people tend to pay attention to all to aspects of all of them. You know, we often pay attention to the consequences that follow from actions. We also want to know if someone's following the rules. And we also consider good judgment to be something that, you know, has, um, you know, a moral value. So, you know, judging whether something is right or wrong is a lot more complicated than it seems at first blush. So now that, you know, we understand a little bit more about moral dilemmas are with these dis difficult choices and how they come up, maybe we should talk about how having to deal with moral dilemmas affects us and, and specifically that sometimes we have to make choices where there just are going to be problematic moral consequences. Well, that, that seems like a reasonable thing to get into next. Um... When I think about this, it seems to me that there are at least two major ways that facing moral dilemmas uh, can affect your flourishing. 
So acting morally is often put in terms of what we ought to do because of our obligations to others or society or some external factor. But it's important to remember that acting morally is really critical for maintaining your own self-esteem. Of course, here I'm assuming that you want to be a good person, but if you didn't, you probably wouldn't listen to a podcast called Live Well and Flourish. So part of your self-esteem is tied up with acting in ways that align with your values and goals. So if one of your goals is to act morally and you face a dilemma that will cause you to violate a moral precept, then your self-esteem is threatened. There's a second way, which I think is pretty intertwined with the first, and that's that moral dilemmas cause distress, which is just stress that's detrimental to to your well-being. Distress comes uh, comes about when, when the demands you face exceed your ability to deal with them. Basically, your demands are greater than the resources you have available. Because it's impossible to completely resolve moral dilemmas, you feel distressed because your resources, in this case your capacity for making the correct moral choice, are insufficient for dealing with the demands brought on by the moral dilemma. There simply is no single unproblematic choice available, and that distresses you. Yep, that that seems right to me. Um, And there is, you know, even that concept called moral distress and and a, a lot of people are really uncomfortable having to make a choice that they know will have um, some morally pr- problematic element we might want to make sure that we keep in mind that not taking action in these kinds of situations also will lead to a to a violation of a moral precept so, you know, you might think, oh, well, then I just won't do anything. Well, by not doing anything, you're making a choice and you're making a decision. All right, so back to moral distress. What What is it? So you know, moral distress is a situation in which you know the right action to take, but you're constrained from taking it. And, and this results in an inconsistency between your beliefs and your actions. You believe that it's important to act in morally correct ways, but you can't fully meet your moral duties because of the dilemma. So, you know, just this case with Sophie, for example. All right. So, okay, hold on for a second. Let me, let me make sure I've got this. So even in a moral dilemma, you can make a choice that's morally correct. Isn't that fulfilling your moral duties? Um, not fully, uh, Because in a moral dilemma, by definition, you have to make a choice. And when you choose one option, um, you are foregoing the other option and there are going to be problematic moral consequences from that. A choice implies a non-selection. So when you choose one alternative, you're explicitly not choosing the other, right? So we're assuming that... uh, in a dilemma, these two courses of action are mutually exclusive. You can't do both. In a moral dilemma, the alternative that you don't choose would have met a moral obligation. So in that dilemma, there's always some unmet moral obligation that results in some form of moral distress. 
before we move on, I, I do want to mention that there are two parts to moral distress. There's the initial stress that occurs as the situation um, brings about the choice that's, that's unfolding. And then there's reactive distress that happens after the situation that brought about the moral distress ends. It becomes part of what we call your moral life. So there's the stress of knowing you have to make the decision and then the post-stress that happens after the decisions that has been made. Okay. So I think I've got it. Now, if I recall correctly, moral distress can result in something called moral residue. Uh, and that, those are feelings that come about from a perception that a morally distressing situation isn't satisfactorily resolved, which is going to be the case with a moral dilemma. It It is. And I, I know that it all sounds um, a little depressing. It, yeah, it can be. Uh, but remember that there's absolutely no way to satisfactorily resolve a true moral dilemma. Uh, so it, it sounds kind of trite, but it's critical to remember that all you can do is your best. You don't want to set yourself up for feeling feeling bad by having unrealistic expectations and thinking that you can resolve a moral dilemma in a way that is completely morally satisfying is an unrealistic expectation. You know, sure, you, you put appropriate effort into making what you think is the better of the choices, but realize that with a moral dilemma you're going to leave some moral obligation unmet. And, and this is just part of what we have to endure by being human. That's right. I, I like that. Just accept the inevitability and do the best you can. Um, <laughs> that's really pretty good advice generally. Yeah, the, the Stoics <laughs> thought so, I think. Um, all right. Uh, if we could switch gears. A Andrea, as you know, I normally like to leave listeners with three things they can do this week to help them in their journey to flourishing. Any thoughts on what they might do with respect to moral dilemmas? Well, I think the most important thing to do is to really start trying to understand the values that you hold. Uh, the key to making any decision with moral implications is to know what values are important to you. Now, that sounds simple, but, you know, take 10 or 15 minutes to write down a list of important values and, you know, especially the ones that are at stake if you're facing a difficult decision. So so kind of like brainstorming mm -hmm. values? Yeah. I mean, and initially you don't have to think too deeply. Just, just make a list. Uh, okay. But that seems a little, I don't know, maybe a little shallow. Um. It might, but, you know, this is a process. And I think that, you know, what's top of mind is can tell us a lot about the values we have. Once you have your list, you can start to consider the values more deeply. Okay. I, I think I see where you're going. So let me anticipate that. Maybe, maybe next you can rank the values from most important to least important or something like sure, that. Sure. That sounds reasonable. Um But I think you should keep in mind that, that least important is still important. The third step could be a kind of thought experiment. Try to come up with one or two moral decisions that you might face. Um, these don't have to be deep moral conflicts like Sophie's Choice. They can be um, pretty mundane. Yeah, all right. Okay. Well, here's kind of a silly one. Uh, if I ask Tracy if she likes my beard, which, by the way, is getting longer, and I, I'm, I don't know why, but I'm oddly proud of it, and she hates the long beard, she might have to choose between honesty and kindness. Hmm. Well, I'm not. I'm not sure 
that, that that's really a dilemma. I mean, maybe it <laughs> maybe it would be uh, better to tell you what what she really thinks if it looks silly. Of course, I'm not saying that it looks silly. I wouldn't say. That. <laughs> okay, point taken. I, I'm still not trimming it anytime soon, but. Uh... As long as Tracy doesn't lock me out of the house, I think I'm good with it. Okay, so I think it's time to wrap up. Uh, Andrea, thanks for joining me and helping all of us better understand moral dilemmas. Uh, I want to give you a quick programming note, though, for the listeners. Uh, the next episode of Live Well and Flourish will provide some insights into the pragmatics of making choices when facing a moral dilemma. But before we close, Andrea, anything you want to tell us about Sedona Philosophy Experience? Here's your chance to make oh, a little sure. plug. Oh, sure. Everybody, uh, Sedona Philosophy is an opportunity to um, engage in thoughtful dialogues and experience nature, culture, and history in beautiful Sedona, Arizona. So if you're headed to Sedona, um, we'd love to take you out on the land and engage in philosophical dialogue. Thanks, Craig. It. it Sure. It, it, it's a really unique way to experience uh, the just, I don't know, beauty doesn't quite describe it, but the the awesomeness of Sedona. Uh, so I, I would encourage you all to check it out if you're ever going to be out that way. And of course, I'll put a link to Sedona Philosophy in the show notes. Um, Andrea, you know, I like to close episodes of Live Well and Flourish with a quote. Um, sometimes they're related to the topic of the episode and sometimes they're not. Do you have a favorite you want to share? Uh, sure. This is, this is one of my favorites and it kind of, you know, brings together the, the importance of moral decision making that we've been talking about today and uh, Sedona philosophy and the wonder of the world. So uh, this is by Immanuel Kant. It's actually on his, his gravestone and it's uh, that Two things inspire ever-increasing awe and wonder, the starry skies above and the moral law within. And, you know, this quote just really talks about, you know, we've been talking about moral dilemmas, but this is one of the other contrasts. It's like looking at the starry skies above and the wonder and the scope of the universe. Sometimes we can just feel like we're tiny, maybe even insignificant in the scope of all time and all creation. And yet, the moral law within, the way we act, the way we treat other people and conduct ourselves in our daily life is also very important. So we are not insignificant. We really are very significant. So again, not quite a dilemma, but but quite a contrast. Yeah, I guess uh, in the infinite, everything is infinitely large and infinitely small, but that might be one to ponder over a couple of uh, good single malt scotches. <laughs> so I think we'll close on that. Uh, until next time, be well, my friends. I produce Live Well and Flourish because of my dedication to helping others live excellent lives. I don't accept sponsorships and I don't want your money. The only thing I want is to help you and others flourish. If you've received some value from this episode, please share it with someone that might also benefit from listening. The best way to do that is to direct them to livewellandflourish.com. Until next time.